Well, welcome back to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 92. As always, this episode is brought to you by our Patreon backers. So thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the Codex by that means. And as always, a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Dominic, Chris, Violation, Adam, Eric, Thorwan, Pascal, Helgraf, Aaron, the Hearth of Britannia, Edward, Stirring Dragon, Cranberry, and Slegnor, who is actually on the podcast, although... He's going to be very intermittent because I believe he is no longer at home alone. So that's, uh, well, that's always a joyous occasion. I mean, I, I like when my wife's at home. Hopefully everybody does. Hopefully everybody likes when their own wives are at home. I like when my wife's at home. Anyways, not the point. The point is I'm in Europe. I'm in Middleton, Ireland. We've just weathered storm Brian. And I figured, you know what? While I'm here, why not? Take the opportunity, the fact that I'm seven hours ahead when I'm normally recording a podcast, why not just record an episode that maybe some of our European dragons or, you know, people who maybe can't always make, because you know what, 9 p.m. Mountain Time is actually a really inconvenient time to be recording things for anybody who doesn't live on the Pacific Coast. It's actually even inconvenient for me <laughs> a little bit. So, um, and you know, people obviously who are living further to the East, which is, I don't know, most of the continent of North America and all of Europe, it's crazy. It's just crazy. So fortunately I am able to be recording at 9 PM in Ireland, which would be like two in the afternoon back home for me. So that's an awesome thing. This, this whole weekend has just not gone at all. Like I've planned. It's been good in a lot of ways, but again, just winging it one minute after another. It's kind of like that when you need a rat hole to talk about for three hours, you can never think of one. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, we were just lucky that Raf Coster had that many stories to tell. Not that that's a surprise, really. No, no. And it's funny looking back at arguing with him in the Usenet news group about some of the stuff and how many things I was completely wrong about <laughs> and how the one thing that I can actually remember I was right about was so significant, which was players are going to kill each other and grief each other and it will be a problem. People are not going to want to just be role play the brigands. They're just going to be jerks. <laughs> yeah. Although they might try and claim they're just role playing brigands. But really that's just to mask the uh, mask the jerkery. Right, cuz it was so telling when they introduced Trammel that so many people switched, you know. Oh, yeah, completely. But it was fun hearing what what they were trying to do at that time and, you know, all the efforts that they made. You know, because it's so much the path not taken that, uh, you know, theme parks were what was going to be viable. And unfortunately for them, they were on the wrong side of the 3D curve. True. Well, hey, maybe we can do a little postmortem on, on UO and then maybe with some comparisons against SOTA. Sounds good, though I haven't really done much in soda yet, so... Oh, well, I can speak to that more. My, you know, you cover for my lack of knowledge about UO, and I'll cover for your lack of knowledge about soda. How about that? Okay. <laughs> we'll just wait for uh, Slegnar to get back here, if he's able to. Yeah, I did a little bit in UO, but I at that time I wasn't ready as... Um... Warren Spector said to, to play with 10,000 of my closest friends. <laughs> <laughs> it was more later the EverQuest World of Warcraft days that I got into MMOs. 
Yeah, I, you know what? I only got into MMOs with about uh, um, Star Wars The Old Republic. Ah, yep. Cool. Yeah, I do a, I'm a co-host on a podcast for Star Wars The Old Republic. So I have, I really enjoy that MMO. Yeah, well, I mean, I enjoy it because my wife plays it. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of just, I don't know, but you know, it's, this could actually be a really good vein of discussion because like, it's weird how much lately I've been interested in MMOs. Like they were never interesting to me when I was growing up and, uh, and now they're like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, well, I, I mean, I play um, the Old Republic because me and my wife play the Old Republic because, you know, she's an even bigger Star Wars geek than I am. Um, but then she found out that there was a, and she's like, I mean, she's a big Star Wars geek. She's an even bigger Trekkie. I'm more of a Star Wars geek. Marital tension. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so when she found out that there was a Star Trek MMO, she was right there. She's like, what? There's a Star Trek online? I'm like, yeah, it's kind of action-y, not, you know, as story-driven as the Old Republic is. And she's just like, it's Star Trek. All right, I guess we will play that. So now we play that. And then I've been checking out Elder Scrolls online. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting back from the computer and going, why do I have three MMOs installed? That's like more MMOs installed now than in the last 30 years of my life. (laughs) Granted, there have only been MMOs for about 22 of those years, but still. Yeah, I've got a bunch installed. Some I'm just, I tinker, I get in and tinker around a little bit, but I actually move around like between three different MMOs at this time. And I still want to get into more just to see through the story. You know, it, it's it's interesting to see how that, I mean, it's not a persistent world in a purest state where you can drop stuff, but still it is a existing world with other players and see how they try to deal with the various issues of the game genre. And I think you kind of have to be in a certain place in your gaming uh, where, you know, you can get it. You want to get in, you want to do things. But the thing I like about MMOs is you feel like you can have progress unless you're doing the end game stuff, you can do it at your own schedule. Whereas, you know, I mean, I still love hopping into like team fortress two or to get into a meaty, you know, single player RBG, like Morrowind or something like that, (laughs) or, you know, a mass effect and enjoy those type of things. But, you know, for day to day, just kind of my chicken soup gaming is an MMO. Yeah, well, I think for me, the reason that I've really gotten to it is the fact that, you know, like, it's kind of the same reason that I play a lot of mobile games now too, right? It's that MMOs in general, unless I'm engrossed in some lengthy raid, which I rarely do because, you know, I'm more like following what storyline there is. Um, MMOs are much more tolerant of the drop-in and drop-out gameplay style. Oh, I agree, because I used to to be a hardcore raider, and wow. They I can't got, do that anymore. I don't have time. Yeah, oh, I'm in my 50s, you know, and it's just like, I like being able to be 
casual now. I finally had to take a step back from scheduled rating. And it's like, I love my free time. I can hop in and play and do what I want on my time frame. Yep. Um, and if that happens to be for 15 minutes, then yeah. Yep, exactly. Plus, you know, you can make some interesting friendships. And one of the things I like now, especially about Discord, is you can find friendships and you can keep in touch with people, not just in a single game, but across multiple games and genres and things like that. So, Right, because Discord moves with you. Right, and a lot of that has, gr- out to me, has grown out of the player basis between MMOs and then MOBAs. Especially, I mean, especially the social nature of MMOs. I mean, first it was Ventrilo and, you know, Roger Wilco and TeamSpeak and stuff like that. And finally, someone has something where you can connect people. I mean, I I know Curse and Twitch have tried to imitate what Discord was doing. But, you know, in enabling people to share those social links across many games has been interesting to see. And again, it's an all to me. A lot of it's an outgrowth of what people do in MMOs, because you would hear groups like, "Oh, we're tired of this MMO," or "We see this hot new MMO come out, so our whole guild's going to move over there for a while." So you know, people needed to have those connections to keep that stuff, those their organized groups going. Yeah, totally. Um, when I just yeah, I mean, it's it's funny now. Like we record this via discord which like you say like really grew out of that scene right and i mean like it's it's sort of it reminds me of nothing so much as because like i'm from canada and i'm from a particularly north well not like north of the arctic circle i'm not like in the yukon or anything like that but you know edmonton my home city is the northernmost major city in in canada it's not to say that there aren't cities further north but they're rather smaller Um, and so one of the things that's really, um, important to us is of course, good winter wear, you know, good, good clothing to wear when the snow is flying and the temperatures are in minus double digits centigrade. And you, you get real winter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actual winter. But the thing is, uh, some of the best gear to get has grown out of the snowboarding movement right? Like just, you know, like the, the best winter jackets are basically just evolutions of what started as snowboarder gear. Um, and it's just kind of like now, you know, whereas once this was kind of the province of those snowboarders and they were always kind of a weird culture unto themselves. Now it's just, you know, well, Hey, this is the best winter tech going and everybody wears it now. And it's kind of the same with, you know, the tech here. It's like, you have these different technologies that, you know, like Discord, which emerged initially to allow MOBA and MMO players to, you know, have that real-time communication, which they needed for, um, well, in the case of MOBA, everything they do. And in the case of MMOs, obviously like, you know, coordinating raids and whatnot. Um, it's interesting how much, you know, a, like I said, just the, a game genre can impact other things because you know the the whole MOBA scene came from basically 
you know, uh, people, fans creating their own version of an RTS, you know, Dota was basically built off of Warcraft three, the RTS, but using elements from the MMO. <laughs> and then it became it's something true. that, you know, consumed the whole, you know, used to be Warcraft with 10 million subscribers. You know, now League of Legends easily has 30, you know, 30 or 10 million. Well, more like, and now it's 30 time. million plus a month actives, you yeah, know, and all these others are going crazy. It's, yeah. And I mean, like, it's just funny. Yeah. Even how, and you know, like that's a real blind spot that I find that I have right now is that like, I mean, okay. You know, I grew up doing the single player RPG thing. And so for the longest time, MMOs were my blind spot, but now I've kind of gotten more of a more, you know, uh, immersion into the MMO space. And I've, you know, been able to meet with more people who are regular MMO gamers. And so I kind of understand it a little bit better, but now, yeah, there's this whole like MOBA space out there, which is just huge beyond like, you know, anything that I could imagine even on the MMO front. And it's like, I have, I have no idea about any of that. Um, but then again, I also have no idea about like call of duty, which, you know, continues to be like one of the most top selling games in the world. So make it that what you will, I guess. Yeah. Well, I can understand call of duty cause shooters are always popular. I mean, I, I played the, the early ones where they were still in war two, but a lot of it is they gave that the single player campaign gave you the sense of, you know, being in a movie and then, you know, people love more of the same, only better of, you know, of a game. That's why there's so many, um, sequels you know that's why so many people still go to mcdonald's it's like you know you've got the consistency of experience yeah whether it's good or not you know it's like you know with anything to me you get bored of it but it makes money it's like ea with all their sports franchises you know or that's true heck too. look at go look at go or chess those games haven't fundamentally changed for centuries and yet people still play them and enjoy them but it's, um, yeah, no MOBA is interesting. I, I've looked at some of them, but I'm, I was never much a real time strategy game and trying to get down to the distilled form and MOBA wasn't me. Plus, as I've gotten older, I have far less tolerance for toxic players. So, and unfortunately, Which is a like huge with, problem. right. And it's like with Twitter and stuff like that, when you get, Un, I mean, sometimes it's wonderful to have an unfiltered social environment, but when you read about the links that Legion go to or uh, Riot goes to to deal with the toxic nature in League of Legends, it's just amazing. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's kind of unfortunate that the, in a way, it's kind of like sports, actually, right? Like, I mean, I, I wasn't huge into sports, but I did play football for a few years, you know, um, American football. And there's, in my mind, there's kind of a lot of overlap between, um, things like locker room talk and kind of that between team smack talk. I mean, especially because like, you know, I was a lineman, right? You know, I was on the D line. So I'm up against the O line, you know, I'm staring some other guy in a face and, you know, invariably he's going to say something across his helmet to me. It's not going to be particularly polite. Um, 
then I'm probably going to say something back because, you know, that's evidently part of this game. Um, and then, you know, again, like the locker room talk afterwards and just, you know, the general, or, you know, like you look at, well, soccer, the other football is <laughs> another the real you know, football. Yeah, yeah. The real football is, you know, another great example. Like, I mean, like just look at some of the, the ferocity of things like soccer fans, right? The, 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 the English soccer yabos. Um, so in some ways I see parallels there, right? Because I think just, and unfortunately I think this is kind of like ingrained in human nature at a certain level is that whenever you have any kind of competitive event, um, whether it's a sport, whether it's a game, if there's a competitive layer to it, there's inevitably going to be some kind of smack talk. And unfortunately, in the case of the internet, because there's also an anonymity layer, right? Like, I mean, it's one thing if I'm a soccer hooligan, but my face is up there on CCTV and the police can come and arrest me. You know, if I start breaking like windows and stuff, I can be arrested for that. There's actual real world consequences for me that become immediately tangible. Um, if I'm too much of a soccer hooligan, but right, like if I'm an anonymous idiot on Twitter, those same consequences don't necessarily come to me as quickly as maybe they should. Right. Cause it used to be said that you could control a lot on the internet. If you could reach through your monitor and punch the other person in the nose for being a jerk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause that, that's the problem is, you know, when you're competitive, you are also trying to take, you know, defeat them mentally by, you know, saying stuff and puffing yourself up and making yourself more aggressive. It's just, unfortunately we've got folks who, you know, because they're, as you say, they're, they're anonymous. They can, you know, get away with it. And there's no, there's no natural break or toning it down. Exactly. There's Plus, something to be said about real world consequences that just puts a really nice natural filter in place. Right. Plus then you get a lot of people who don't know when to stop. You know, they've seen that behavior in physical sports and don't understand the context where, you know, a lot of times players will be like that, but they, the players understand what's in the locker room or what's on the field is not how they should act, you know, elsewhere. Yeah, and so they know when the to, right. And then the, the people in the online games, just nothing tells them to stop. So they keep, cause it was interesting watching, uh, Jeff Kaplan, who's running the over blizzards, overwatch game, complaining that they're having to deal with this type of toxic behavior and how much, effort it takes from developing the game to deal with toxic players. Yeah. I remember seeing that article because it's, you know, I mean, you're just, you're pouring so many resources, right? Like the riot community team rightly, like, I mean, they've earned their, they've earned their fair share of criticism because the sheer volume of crap they have to put up with. They're just, they never are able to keep up with it, but they've also earned a fair, a uh, fair bit of praise for, just how much of the crap that they have to deal with, they're actually able to respond to. Uh, I mean, I can remember seeing articles to, to both extremes uh, just over the last years, like, you know, Riot, yeah, their community team is swamped and they drop the ball a lot, but their community team is also just, you know, doing absolutely superhuman work trying to deal with the torrent of crap that's coming at them. But yeah, consequently, that's a lot of resources that are getting pissed away dealing with jerks which could be spent on 
engine <laughs> or gameplay tweaks or expansion content or whatever, right? Right. Or just, you know, the community folks are having this to deal with, you know, reported bad player behavior and all that. And I thought it was interesting. They started going to the player councils where you vote, you look at it and you vote and they actually give you feedback of how did your vote compare to what the council did and stuff. And the finding of a lot for most people, they're just having a bad day. You know, a lot of the toxic behavior is a one-off thing. Someone had a bad day and took it out in game on someone else. And it's actually a tiny subset of toxic players that continually offend. Which it's cool to see those statistics because it helps, you know, when you sit on the outside to kind of put everything into perspective. Yeah, it does. And I mean, like, I do get that. You know, like, yeah, somebody's just having a terrible day and the last thing they needed was to get their clock completely cleaned um, playing, you know, what is ostensibly their favorite game. But I don't know. I mean, I got to deal with that a lot. Like even with my own kids, right? It's just like, you know, my daughter will come home from school and she's just being a bear. But it turns out that, you know, she's had... um, something's happened in class, right? Like, you know, the boys were bugging her or whatever the case is, um, something's happened. And, you know, like that's really now driving the rest of her behavior. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I get that, but. Oh yeah. I mean, and I say this is kind of amusing because I look back at some of the crap I posted on the dragons news group so many years ago and I'm like, Oh God, I was so bad. So terrible. Yeah. I've had my moments there too, for sure. And it's like, not, not so much in the news. I never really went to the news group, but I mean, like I can get spicy on Facebook or whatever things. And it's just, it's sort of this constant reminder. It's just like, oh my gosh, like, no, 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 no. Patience, patience, patience. Um, Right. I've, I've learned to stop, to stop responding because unfortunately, once you get into that routine of being able to argue and to tick someone else off to know how to phrase things. It's when you get angry, it's so easy just to fall into that habit and get into that because it's like, I've got to win. And it's a realization of you're never going to win any of this stuff. In fact, actually having the last word is usually the worst thing possible because people remember you (laughs) more than they do the others. Yeah. There's a bit of that too. Um, Yeah. And I don't know, like it's just, yeah, some, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I'm usually, I'm getting better now. I'm at the point now where I can like, you know, get into a discussion and then be just like, nope. Okay. Look, I got to step out. I am backing out. So last word to whoever, um, yeah. and you know, just walk away, turn off notifications and be done. Well, and I try to now watch my phrasing so that I can say, okay, I, I'm acknowledging your point and I'm just saying I'm either going off on a side tangent or it's like, you've got a good point, but I'm thinking about this. And a lot of times then I get a, a pop better, at least I get a favorable reaction. Not necessarily they agree with me, but the discussion actually continues. It does. It does. Um, and I mean, like if you're able to keep spectating on the discussion, great, good. Um, I don't know. For me, I usually just have to completely disengage. I just, I get into it and then I'm like, nope, I have to get out of it. 
yeah, I've had to do that at times too. That's why I love like the Twitter's mute button because it's like, okay, I'm just not going to listen to you for a while. I'll come back later and unmute a number of people. Yeah, I'm not blocking you. I'm just tuning you out for a little while. Yep. Definitely. Ah. Uh, well, so we've inadvertently just launched into the complete episode content. Um, so I guess I'll just, at the end of it, record all the other preamble and stuff like that. But that's all right. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know. You know, I mean, it's better when a discussion is organic anyways, because yeah, like, yeah, it's just let it happen. And I mean, the rest of it, the fiddly bits I can add myself. Like I'm not, <laughs> that's not a problem for me, but, uh, no, I, I, like I said, being on a, a podcast, I'm used to like, got to feel that air. Can't leave it dead. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I mean, like for me, I, I don't know. Like it's weird. I just record, I just record everything. Right. And then I've. There are certainly more than a few spam, spam, spam humbug episodes that have like been completely like, oh, wait, this was like a really good 20 minutes here. And then it's like kind of just mindless babble. And then, oh, hey, here's another good like 40 minute stretch. So let's grab that, grab that, find like a little break in the conversation that I can fuse together where it sounds natural and away you go. Um, I don't know. It's, I've gotten very, very good at editing sound together doing this podcast, which is not a bad skill to have. No, it's cool uh because we've got one gentleman who actually does the editing for our star wars podcast and it's funny we decided to launch another one because we'd have all these discussions before and after specifically talking about the old republic and we decided that when we're just gonna when we all get on start recording and go till the end and just let the, let us let us ramble <laughs> nice and sorry what was the name of that podcast again um uh, it's called uh, beyond the stars, a star Wars podcast. Oh, okay, um, cool. We haven't released it. We haven't released any episodes for a while. We got some in the can, but just various things have kept us from getting out. And then our new one is going to be called the pregame post show, which is Ooh. an attempt to be mildly amusing because it was really came out of our discussions before or after talking about star Wars, when we talked about everything else. Yeah, well, oh, oh my gosh, yeah. Some of the uh, the post episode content is just the best, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, because you know you get talking about stuff and you'd say, oh, this and that, and when you when your co host have so much experience playing these games for years and years, it just you can really draw on each other's experiences. You know, because when like we were talking about MMOs, like one of the gentlemen, Lou. Um, he had years of experience in EverQuest dealing with, you know, grouping up and de going after legendaries and, you know, the days when stuff was truly hard to do. And it took a lot of time and effort to get anywhere. And you had to, most cases, you had to be grouped up to get anywhere. It isn't like MMOs now, which are very casual friendly or solo friendly. Right. You know, or it just, just the different experiences and it kind of, you build on each other's strengths and that that's a lot of fun. I, I always like learning stuff. It's like someone linked me. I got linked into the digital antiquarian and I've been reading his blog posts and oh, it's cool excellent. to see all this. Yeah. And I got the, the recent hardbound book about the Apple II gaming. I forget the name of it. Um, yeah. The, I just posted about this on the codex too. Darn it. It's got like a really long title. Um, yeah. Yeah, the uh, break, uh, 
breakout or something breakout, like that. Yeah. yeah. How the Apple II basically created the games PC industry. Gaming. Yeah. Yeah. It's I've, I've got a soft copy of it and uh, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, like I tuned into it initially because of course, Richard Garriott stories and right. obviously I run the Ultima Codex. So those, you know, those are good things to post about. Um, but then the author reached out and he's just like, Hey, did you want a copy? Like, and I'm like, sure. I'm not promising like that. I'll have time to read it any like quickly, but I'll happily like read it. And I have been, and uh, he's such an engaging author. Um, did you ever read like his earlier work, like stay a while and listen? No, I haven't. Cause I hadn't heard about him. You know, I kind of gotten this, I had read, you know, about 20 years ago, um, I was really big into computer history, you know, and reading all about this stuff. And I kind of stopped about the time to give it historical context. Steve Jobs came back to Apple and stuff. And I was, I remember reading stuff where like, oh, Steve Jobs is back. And will he be able to save Apple? Of course, we know how that went. But <laughs> yes, then I, oh, I yes. started, um, you know, had real life changes. Um, for those of you who are dragons, I'm Fortran dragon and my wife was disoriented dragon. So with her passing, I kind of got out of gaming and a lot of other stuff and I've gotten back into it and then gotten back into reading books and things like that and looking back at this history. And it's kind of like another wave in the nineties. There was a big wave about looking back at the seventies and early eighties with, with computers. Now, you know, like 20 years later, people are looking back again and trying to preserve all of this stuff. It's like I, on Twitter, I follow 4am who's trying, you know, one of the people trying to preserve all the Apple II software that never actually got preserved properly. So it's fun looking back and seeing how all this stuff developed, what the people's thoughts were, how the patterns flowed back and forth. And to, to kind of circle back around, it's kind of like looking at Raph's stories, you know, about UO and what might have been with the open world stuff. And how, you know, basically EverQuest kind of took it with having a 3D engine and more theme park style, kind of took the industry a, a totally different path. And really, ironically, one of the successors of UO's open world is Grand Theft Auto and games like yes. that where you can go in and do things. Well, so it's... The, oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, it's just funny to see how currents change and like where you think, Oh, this is never going to go anywhere. Like you, Oh, um, reemerges in a total different genre and it becomes wildly popular because of the, the type of spin that the, the game company puts on it. Yep. I mean, because, you know, like obviously we're making the distinction now, right? Because like there's systems, the, the actual, you know, the systems that animate the game in its world. And then, yeah, there's like the, the actual theme of the game, you know, and what's put on. And it's, if you've had a bit of insight into the whole, you know, game development process, like you get that. You're just like, oh yeah, of course. Like you could totally take the systems from one game and mash them together with a different theme and come up with something that at least on the surface is completely new, but you know, anybody who actually gets in and plays it, um, is going to be just like, oh, this is, this is this old, this is this thing I know from before, but now with a completely different skin on it. See also Star Wars Galaxies. Yes. Um, 
which unfortunately closed down, right? But that was another like example of the MMO that took a whole bunch of lessons from UO and not surprisingly because Raf Coster was its kind of principal designer as well. Um, and, you know, just took them and put a whole different spin on them with a nice Star Wars finish and, you know, made something great out of it that way. And you're right, like GTA, GTA Online, uh, or, you know, even the GTA 5, right? Like, cause I mean, you can kind of argue that GTA 5 and then the online component thereof are simultaneously sort of the, their modern inheritors of UO and to a degree, you know, the, the single player Ultimas as well, just for the open world experience and the ability to just mess around in the world almost to your heart's content. I'm totally waiting for when in GTA 6, you can bust into the bake shop. And if there's not enough cash in the cash register, you can actually like work the ovens making cinnamon buns until you have enough money to um, walk out the door again and be satisfied. And people are going to be just like, you can bake bread in this game. It's the most amazing thing. And I'll be just like, yeah, it's nice to see that back. Um, I know I, I was actually thinking of baking. It's like, if only you could bake bread in the game, (laughs) the canonical Uh, ultimate. It's coming. It's coming. I mean, if Rockstar, if Rockstar know what they're doing, they're going to take notes from, actually, I was fusing two things together. I was fusing together an Ultima 7 reference and also this story I remember from a few years ago. It's like this guy um, was trying to knock over a 7-Eleven, but there was like 20 bucks in the till. And so he like tied the, tied the, the guy behind the counter up, stuffed him in a closet in the back room. And then for like four hours, he was just, this burglar was working the till, right? And I mean, he was just blowing stuff out at whatever price anybody wanted to pay for it. It's like, oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, the point is he worked for three or four hours until he had, you know, a few hundred bucks in hand. And then he's just like, okay, this is worth my time. And he walks out. (laughs) And I mean, that's funny. There was about four hours of camera footage of him. So they were very easily able to find him and arrest him. But still like, you know who's enterprising. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of mishmashing that together with the whole baking bread thing, but you know, like it's a thing they could do it and it would be like the most hilarious thing to see. Right. Oh yeah. Especially, well, of course in GTA is if you could somehow connect it to getting influence with hookers or, you know, beating up hookers with, you know, like a dump truck for, for the cinnamon buns, cupcakes, pumpkin spice lattes. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> Poison bread? Yeah, oh, yeah. Poison bread. Yeah. I'm back now. Ah, you are back now. Glad to have you back. We've stumbled right into a discussion about, well, I think we started a kind of like MMOs and MOBAs and went to toxic behavior. And now we're talking about baking bread in the next GTA, which if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be so disappointed. Well, and I wanted to make a point about Star Wars Galaxies was yeah, go on. it was open world, but then the new generation, NGE, which anybody who played it's going to be cringing about that, was how they tried to turn it into a theme park and it didn't work. You know, you can kind of have one or the other, but mixing the two after the fact just is problematic. Yeah. And if you've gone down one path, it's not like you can just flip and be on the other path all of a sudden. Right. And this, you know, the, the people above the development group is like understand you've got this is your strength play to it don't try to to be 
a poor poor man's version of someone else's success story. Yeah, exactly, right? Um and I mean like it's just I guess it's just unfortunate because like in general, I think you may have mentioned this earlier, but like in general, like the theme park ones, EverQuest and of course WoW being the modern one, um, have, you know, tended to be the ones that have like completely dominated in the market. You know, the the open world ones have always kind of seemed to play, I mean, after UO, because obviously UO succeeded because it was the only game in town. Um but, you know, sort of post-UO and with the explosion of the MMO market into what it is, um, you know, open world has kind of always been the uh, the underperformer, it seems, right? They, yeah. They, they haven't enjoyed the level of popularity that the theme park ones have, have enjoyed. And I guess in a way like that makes sense, right? Because, you know, theme park and kind of like we were talking about earlier, theme park is much more casual tolerant, right? It's... It's the sort of game that you can drop into for 15 minutes if you have the time or two hours if you have the time. Whereas the open world isn't necessarily as tolerant of the casual player. Well, I think the theme park is easier because there's always a ride to go on. You just look around like, oh, I can do that. Whereas open world is more like, what do I want to yeah, do today? Do. And a lot of, right, and a lot of times when you get into a game, it's like, I just want to be entertained. I don't want to have to put a lot of thought into it. Right. Whereas the, I think the folks who love theme park, and and I also think there's a fair amount of devs who love the who love the concept of an open world and the game, you know, MMO as simulation. But you know, you really have to put in a lot of time and effort with an open world MMO you know, to play it well, to get the full benefit of it. Whereas theme park, you know, is more, I can drop in and get in, get out and let me go do a daily or do these quests or go work on my crafting and be done. Or it's like open world. It's like, uh, what do I want to do today? Let me try to figure something out. Let me wander around. And sometimes you feel more like, you know, a fly buzzing here or there to kind of find like, Oh, I accidentally discovered I like doing this. Let me go continue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, and getting back to the point, right? Like, yeah, I mean, in a theme park, you can drop in and even if all you manage to do is like one fetch quest, well then you can say, Hey, I did something today. Whereas, you know, in a, in an open world one, you might just wander around for 15 minutes and be just like, well, I successfully transported this sword from the desert to this oasis great uh, so i went to use a star wars galaxy reference i went to the cantina and danced for a while well yeah, okay that. that's cool <laughs> you know you may have had fun doing it but a lot of times it doesn't feel like you doesn't give you quite the sense of accomplishment kind of yeah and actually clorthos makes a uh, a good point in the chat is that um and this is actually something i've noticed about elder scrolls online as well is that um because that's the other one that i've messed around with in addition to Star Wars and Star Trek. And yeah, like it just kind of, I mean, I, and I'm probably going to get, you know, crucified for this if uh, certain people hear this, but like of all the Elder Scrolls games I've played, I like Elder Scrolls Online the best um, because I think it does offer a better balance between you know, scope of world, exploration, the combat actually is a little bit better. Um, 
So like, I think overall it's a tighter and more well put together game than any of the other Elder Scrolls titles I've messed around with. Um, and to be fair, I kind of have these same problems that, you know, Clortos is talking about. I have these same problems when I try and sit down and play like Skyrim or something like that. I, um, it just becomes like, like his word is nuisance. You know, you can run and slash for a bit, but there's not really this great sense of depth. Um, and to be honest, I have the same problem actually with Skyrim. It's like, I can run around and yeah, this world is massive and huge and there's all kinds of monsters to encounter. And it's, you know, like the design is beautiful, but I'm just not feeling the depth to it. And actually with Skyrim, inevitably, I just kind of tap out and start tinkering around with mods until I break the game. Um, cause you know, suddenly that becomes more interesting to me, but yeah. And that, no, go on. I was going to say it's in some of it, you know, to, to, to round, to go think about the Bartle types, which I'll, you know, I take with a, a, a grain of salt. I mean, there are a nice framework to make a discussion. I don't get all, you know, I don't uh, put them in concrete like some people like to do. Um, but, you know, Skyrim and things like that, or the, the open world things, I think do reward explorer types more. People who just want to see what's over the next hill, what's, you know, beyond the horizon. Whereas if, you know, you're an achiever, you you want to do things and have things done and have the the warm glow of whatever that the reward is, even if it's just a bit of text on your character sheet saying you did this, you know, and <clears throat> open world though also works for, you know, socializers, people who just want to get in and talk and chat, but you can pretty much do that in any, any MMO. And then, you know, the, the ones who want to go out and PVP, you know, now pretty much, unless they just love the, the, MMO itself, I think they've ended up more in either the shooters or, you know, the MOBAs now. Yeah. Because, was... because, oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say that kind of has picked up. And then, you know, a lot, especially with esports, is, you know, that type of competition. So I just, you know, like with uh, some of these uh, smaller MMOs coming out, it's like, I hope these guys succeed because I want to see more MMOs in niches where, or niches, however you want to say it. Both and I'd like to see them be profitable and successful. Cause that's the one thing like people kind of sometimes want to diss Ultima online for not having many players, but it's also survived for 20 years. You know, as much as people want to bitch about EA given that they closed visceral visceral studios um they have they have kept uo running and then spun it off to uh broadside i think broadsword or broadsword broadsword um you know and that's saying something you know ea would have shut them down if they weren't profitable but they've been profitable for 20 plus years yeah well i mean like that's the and like it's I, I guess there's good and there's bad. Like, because obviously, yes, UO continues to be profitable, um, but not quite enough that, you know, like Broadsword is able to do a lot with it. And like, I'll give you an example, like for Publish 98, um, they did this whole thing leading up to, well, actually now as sort of the end of September. And then it was kind of their pre-Halloween content was this whole story arc that involved Pagan, Ultima 8, stuff from Ultima 8. And, you know, like, if it were a big budget, large studio game, 
you'd have probably seen like expansion, well, like what they did with ESO and Morrowind, right? Totally new continent, complete separate storyline that then links into the main, you know, the main part of the game in some way. Um, but Broadsword is small and UO, though it is profitable, is obviously not like, you know, that profitable. So, you know, right. consequently it was just, well, they had a lot of storyline content and some in-game events, but, you know, it wasn't like we got much in the way of even new art, let alone um, a whole new landmass, which is unfortunate, right? Like on, at some level, UO is, is very much like it's being taken care of, but that's also all that's happening with it. But you are right. Like it continues to obviously make money for Broadsword, for EA. And so they continue to develop it. Um, and that's good, you know, like it's, it's awesome that the game has been able to run for 20 years when many of its successors have not managed to run for half that length. And so, you know, like there's, that's impressive in its own right. Right. And that's where I hope game devs are more like, okay, we can't be the wow as the big mass market, you know, MMO. And that sucks a lot of that auction and out, but if they can find their, their little area where they can focus on, they can be successful and they can be impactful. You know, because again, looking at UO is small. I think at its peak, it was like 150,000 players, but you still hear people talking about its influence. You know, it influenced the genre well beyond its, you know, player base. Yep. And I mean, like it's worth noting too, that, you know, 20 years ago, 150,000 in sales was pretty significant. Oh yeah. The the gaming market has since exploded into something larger than even Hollywood. But 20 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case, but you're right. Like, you know, now 150,000 peak definitely pales in comparison to 10 million or 30 million or, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's barely a statistical anomaly against Dota or I'm not Dota league of legends, but right. You would think though, as the whole market expanded, that they might've expanded along with it. But I think it's, you know, unfortunately open world appeals to a, a certain subset of the MMO player base. And, you know, it's finding, finding the folks that, that want to, to continue to play it beyond the ones who've, you know, invested all their time into it and feel like they, they don't want to step away from it because they put all, you know, all these years and time and effort into the game. Yep. I think too, UO has another problem too, in that, you know, (laughs) and that is that there's a significant portion of its player base who also happen to be the ones who continue to pay for subscriptions and, you know, all the other, like, uh, I don't like using the term whales, but it's the term that exists for them, right? You know, these are people, long, long term subscribers and put lots of other money into the game through its like the in-game storefront and whatever else, right? Um, Who like the game a particular way and don't want to see it change, you know? You, I mean, even just the fact that there's two clients, right? Like there's no reason, there's no sane reason why they should continue using the classic client. They have minimal ability to support it. They don't even have the original code base for the classic client 
Oh, man. There's no reason that they should continue to use it. They should have gone to just strictly the enhanced client should have become the only client years ago. But there's a large portion right. of the player base who pay a lot of money into the game's coffers that are never going to accept that move. And, yeah. And th- yeah. And that's sad, you know, because they would actually have a better experience. Um, but again, a lot of times people don't want change. It's like, I like this as it is. Let me continue to, to play this exactly as it is. Yep. But then the problem is then it's when they have something that would actually improve the game for you and give you a better experience and make it more fun. And then, you know, it's kind of like <clears throat> good is the enemy of better. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we can't say that this is something, you know, specifically limited to MMOs, like even within the Ultima community, right? And I mean, again, I wasn't on Usenet, you were. So maybe you saw this play out firsthand. I've only seen like text dumps after the fact of people who were cheesed off about the fact that Ultima 6 went from dual scale to monoscale, went from sort of, you know, the old tile-based approach to this new all-on-one map thing. I've seen plenty of angry posts about how the fact that Ultima 7, you know, completely did away with the classic UI and was entirely mouse-driven because, ew, mouse, and, you know, just like there's, there, there's always that segment, right? You'll, you'll find it oh, now yeah. in modern games too. You know, there's people who are just like, bah, the Elder Scrolls sucked after Morrowind. Um, oh yeah. I mean, uh, the interesting thing, the one I was most involved with was when they were talking about Ultima nine, because we were trying to explain to, you know, all the various things they said, you know, they, you know, whoever I forget who said, you know, and this is a paraphrase Ultima wasn't about, you know, um, baking bread. It was about, you know, killing the dragon, you know, and, and winning the princess or in effect that. Yeah. I think but, that's kind of like, that's what Ed Del Castillo kind of, I think that statement is attributed to him, but right. I mean, that's, I'm paraphrasing that it's kind of the, the, the impression they gave. And we were trying to explain to him, it's like, you know, Ultima fans are people who go to a burger shop wanting this delicious hamburger. And then it's like one day there's this new management comes in and says, screw hamburgers. We're going to sell you sushi and you're going to love this sushi. And the people who are your loyal customers are saying, no, we want this delicious hamburger. We understand you like sushi, but we're coming to you for the hamburger. And that was, that was hard to get them to understand. And then I think it also was a hard thing to, for the fans to understand, because we really didn't see this uh, from Ultima one through five. We saw gradual improvements. We really didn't see Richard Garriott and his team reinvent Ultima's every single time. You started seeing it was six and seven, but seven was so good in most people's memories and eight wasn't that they were wanting, you know, Origin to to give us an Ultima seven plus with yeah. nine. No, and there was so much stuff that went on behind the scenes. And unfortunately, unless you were there and could see all the 
you know, all the stuff behind the scenes, we'll never know for sure what all happened. Cause you know, you're hearing from now from people after the fact. Yep. And, and memories are malleable, you know, to be yep. fair to all involved. And I mean, like the thing about it is I can't really go into detail on the, the sourcing of this because I was explicitly asked not to, but like, I just want to say something specifically about Ed Del Castillo and like, you know, the, the comment about like the hamburger and the sushi is that I think, unfortunately, the man has really gotten a bad rap. Um, to be fair, it would seem that, you know, like during his tenure at Origin, he was not one to mince words. And this is an impression I've gotten from various people and Bill Randolph, especially. And like, I know that during his tenure as the game's producer, um, he burned a ton of political capital. Um, you know, <laughs> more, even more than Richard Garriott burned, which I didn't think was possible, but yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the thing about it is like Ed was, and, and Bill Randolph spoke about this, uh, in, in like the interview that I did with him. And then, you know, like I say, I have some corroborating um, stuff that I can't really go into the sourcing of, but like Ed was very much, you know, an Ultima fan from, from way back, like from a Calabeth back. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> indeed, like he really, he kind of, from what I understand, like he got pulled in to, he got pulled in to run the show in Austin um, because like pretty much every Ultima fanboy who's ever messed around with anything that you could maybe use to build a game with, he had a book full of notes or like, you know, a, a big collection of notes about like what he'd like to see in an Ultima game. And I guess he was doing some work for Origin at the time and he just got kind of, he bumped into Richard and they were talking about how, um, you know, Richard wasn't particularly happy with the direction Ultima was headed in at the time. And, um, he like, you know, said, well, here, like, here's some of my notes. And he offered to like review, I guess the, the early design of the game. And so he gave some feedback on that. And next thing he knew, like Richard was saying, Hey, you should be the producer on this. Um, and I mean, yeah, you know, I think we'll mostly remember him, unfortunately for, this comment, although granted we did save princesses in Ultima one. And I think we'll mostly remember him for the heavy metal trailer, which is unfortunate. Although I suspect that was actually EA marketing rather than anything he personally oversaw. Right. But I think one thing that we do have to really give credit to Del Castillo for, um, was the fact that like, you know, he had a particular vision, which, you know, differed from, um, from Richard's vision in some ways, but in others was, you know, like manifestly passionately in line with it. Um, the example that sticks out most in mind is the fact that, you know, like if you think about today, right, think about like the latest Dragon Age or Mass Effect 3 or Mass Effect Andromeda, ostensibly they're single player RPGs, but none of them releases without a multiplayer component. And that was something that EA was trying to push on the Ultima nine dev team, you know, was that, oh, well, Hey, like 
Bill Randolph, again, talks about this in his interview that I did with him. Uh, he's like, you know, they came to him, they're just like, how hard would it be to add multiplayer? And of course, his previous job had been coding the networking infrastructure on Command and Conquer. So he could give them a very honest and authoritative answer. <laughs> and he's right. just like, uh, I don't know, lots more months. Um, and they're just like, okay, well, how about just a little bit? And he's just like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> It's not about how much content we make available for multiplayer. It's about the infrastructure needed to actually handle, you know, player connections. You're talking about building a client and a server and like all of that stuff. And he's trying to explain this to the marketing people who, of course, don't get it. They're just like, multiplayer is hot now. We have to have multiplayer. And Ed just completely batted that away. And it's a good thing he did because obviously, you know, if they'd had to delay the project further to actually try and bake in multiplayer, like that would have destroyed it. Like there would not have been a yeah. nine if that had happened. One of the the other things too with unfortunately with Ultima Nine is they got caught in that technology shift. Um, you know, they picked three a three D technology glide based on three D FX, um, and the market was moving underneath them because of Microsoft's development of DirectX. So they kind of got shafted a bit there. And then I can see why EA would want multiplayer because with Doom and like Half-Life, you know, the big long single player campaign on Half-Life and the multiplayer was highly successful. And, you know, businesses like knowing, oh, someone else has done well with this. Let's imitate it because we can make our money, too. It's a lot harder to say, no, we, we want to go this way and be successful when the industry was starting to shift to we want blockbuster, you know, we want the mega hit because, you know, without the mega hit, it's a lot of times for them, it's not worth developing a game. Um, it's either go huge or don't try at all. Not, you know, that I think was the start of that mentality. And yeah. it's like, you know, I mean, this, I think one of the reasons UO continues to be successful or succeeded for so long was it gave them a constant cash flow. It's like every month you have a set amount of money coming in, which is useful for a business, but not, it's not exciting for investors. You know, investors want to see that, oh, you made, you know, 10% more this quarter than you did last quarter. You know, you're constantly growing. And unfortunately, there are limits to the growth you can have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, you've been oddly um, Slegnor. And to answer Rothbard's comment, um, it's, I think, yeah, part of it is that PC games, because they're entertainment got compared to movies, but it was, I think a lot of it because companies were moving into becoming public. And at least in the U S uh, wall street loves, uh, they want you to continually grow because that way they make their money. If you just can't have a steady level of profits, and this is the, the problem Apple's having, the richest company in the world, but if they don't keep growing their market uh, market share or increasing their profits, Wall Street views them as a failure, which is just insane. It's like they're making you know money hand over fist, but... If it's not going up and carrying Wall Street along with it, then uh, you're a problem and we're going to take our money and go elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Which, I Um, mean, coming back to your earlier comment about like, you know, nowadays, and I guess really like that is kind of the answer, right? And it was sort of much the same as like how the indie scene 
really almost took off in response to how blockbuster-driven Hollywood had become, right? And we're kind of seeing that in games now, you know, whether it's um, larger success, like Torchlight, you know, Torchlight was an example of um, an indie game that just like, Torchlight's awesome, you know, for a Diablo clone, it is just awesome in terms of playability and, you know, just engagement and yeah, it's fine. It's not the most graphically intense game. It's not like Diablo three, but gosh, I don't know how many times I've looked up from Torchlight and been just like, is that the time I have to work in the morning? Oh, geez. Uh, right. Oh, wait. It, but you see that yeah. and you see things like Unity coming along where you have a solid 3D engine where, you know, people don't have to invent the plumbing all over again. You know, studios can focus on doing for them the game bits, the artwork, the story, stuff like that. You know, it's it takes a lot of money these days to develop a game engine. I mean, just look at EA. Across EA, they really want to push that Frostbite engine. Yep. And sometimes they push it too far, I think, like with Mass Effect Andromeda, where, you know, they spent so much time trying to make it work in an RPG scene that the game suffered in other areas. Yes. Well, I mean... I think that's a little bit overstated, but I do think, I think it's overstated just how much they suffer, how much the game suffers as a result. Animation system well, notwithstanding, but. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking of programmer time. struggled mightily to, yeah, make it work and do what they needed it to do. Even after all the work that had been done by the Dragon Age team, because Dragon Age Inquisition was the first game, the first Bioware RPG to jump to Frostbite. Right. You know, I mean, it, I think, I think people, or I hope businesses eventually realize that engines need to be somewhat tailored to certain genres, and just retrofitting a shooter engine may not be the best thing that you can do. And I think EA is, you know, trying to do this from a cost saving perspective, where they can they can take their games and put them on consoles all the way up to the top end PCs. Which, you know, from a financial viewpoint makes sense. But I think from a development standpoint, that is going to continue to bite them in, in the extreme cases. It, it well may, yes. I mean, to be fair, you know, Bioware had great success developing um, RPG. <laughs> Not to really give a counterpoint, but in a way it sort of is. So bear with me. But like, if you look at... Like we've talked about Dragon Age Inquisition. We've talked about Mass Effect Andromeda. Okay. Let's take a look at Mass Effect 1 through 3. And leaving aside the fact that, you know, there is an argument to be made that Bioware dropped the narrative ball at the end of Mass Effect 3. But that's a narrative problem, not an engine problem. Okay. Right. Let's leave that one aside. Let's just take a look at Mass Effect 1 through 3, you know, as games in general. And let's take a look at Dragon Age 1 and 2 as games in general. Dragon Age 1 through, th- or sorry, Mass Effect 1 through 3 built on top of Unreal Engine, Unreal Engine 3, which ostensibly began as a shooter engine. Dragon Age 1 was built on an evolution of the Aurora engine, which was, of course, the Neverwinter Nights engine. Um, and then Dragon Age 2 was built on a further evolution of that. Arguably... Mass Effect is the more effective game, especially like, you know, if you think about how 
Dragon Age 2 really demonstrated that Bioware had pushed Aurora to its functional limits. You know, like Aurora was at the breaking point with Dragon Age 2. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, the point is well taken is that Frostbite is, Frostbite came out of, well, DICE, so Battlefield and I, probably their experience with Mirror's Edge. It's optimized towards a particular kind of game, which has a real focus on action and, you know, yeah, generally speaking, a first-person shooter. Although it has mapped successfully to the need for speed games as well. Those are Frostbite-based. So I think it's more, Frostbite is really great for like, you know, yeah, action-driven games where you're kind of looking through things, um, uh, looking through things from, you know, like that first-person perspective. Right. Uh, One thing I would say as a counterpoint to Unreal is that Unreal is sold or licensed to other game companies, so it has a broader range of use than necessarily Frostbite. That's true. So there was more expertise of pushing Unreal in different directions, which may have had a bigger impact of what Bioware could have done. It may have. Yeah, and I will definitely agree that the uh, Mass Effect 1 through 3 was, uh, the engine was just fine. Yep. I'll actually say that they... Bioware dropped the ball with the the start of Mass Effect 2 from the story perspective. Well, <laughs> looking okay, back yeah, at it, that whole kill Shepard offer then resurrect was a little bit hokey. I got to give you that. Oh, it was, it was to me, it was terrible because basically the way they did it, there was no way for him to survive that. Yeah, and, and, and bring him back. Okay. I would have loved if they had said that Cerebus had basically re. You know, they could have waved the hand wave Prothean technology and said, no, we actually recreated Shepard. The, the original one died. You're uh, a clone or whatever. You, yeah, you're our recreation doing the things we wanted to and have that be one of the reveals on the collector base, which is why you shifted you know, the story shifted from focusing on the Reapers to the collectors, which were more of a direct impact on humanity. And that's what Cerebus was fighting for. And that would have added a certain amount of pathos to the whole thing. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I've kind of made my peace with Mass Effect. Yeah. But, like, I mean, you know, I I keep trying to find a way to bring this around to Shroud of the Avatar. And this might be not a bad time to do it, is that, like, that, like, Shroud in the MMO space, and there's a few others that have come along, right? There have been a couple of other crowdfunded MMOs that are, uh, that have come along and, uh, like shards online is one of them. Crow falls, another of them. Um, there was that other one that was by the original guys who did dark age of Camelot. And right now the title eludes me, but, um, Camelot unchained. Thank you. Yes. That should have been obvious. Um, because Camelot, but anyways, yeah. So like there've been a handful of, of, you know, sort of more niche MMOs that have come along through the crowdfunding scene to various degrees of success. I mean, Crowfall seems to be doing exceptionally well. Shards Online is, they're doing their big alpha. And I think they're, you know, very close to the point where they're ready to do like uh, a beta and then a launch. And Shroud, Shroud has been in development for a long time and a lot's been done with it. But at the same time, like it does seem to kind of be struggling. And of course, Clorthos just, steals my point entirely is that in the chat here is that uh and to be fair 
um, I think Shroud has been getting a lot of help from Unity themselves, from the developers of the engine themselves, but they really do seem to, you know, basically have taken that engine, which, you know, in general, yeah, it's a good idea to, you know, it, it, or it's great that these indie teams have access to these out-of-the-box engines, but at the same time, um, I think Portalarium are, in some respects, encountering with Unity analogous problems to what Bioware, and especially Bioware Montreal, encountered with Frostbite, which is to say they've kind of chosen this engine and moved forward with it, but they're trying to do more with it than is really possible uh, or is, you know, necessarily um, within its wheelhouse for, for lack of any better way to put it. Um, you know, like they're really, they're, they're pushing it very much to its breaking point. And, you know, consequently the game is struggling a little bit or seems to be struggling a little bit as a result. Right. Cause there is a, when you do an MMO, you, you have a whole new jo- uh, you know, area of problems you've got to deal with and issues. Whereas a single player game or even a small multiplayer game, you don't have that amount of problem. Kind of have that single player experience, which, which you know, fits into an MMO and even into a certain degree, a single player niche that you know, just gives a particular experience that enough people are looking for that it's able to, you know, make some money so that they're able to continue developing it, developing more chapters. But trying to be both things or all things to all people is is a lot of effort trying to make all that sync up. Well, and especially because some things just necessarily are not going to sync up. Like um, combat is kind of my perennial problem in Shroud of the Avatar because, you know, how you do combat in an MMO, especially if the MMO has to support PvP, is going to be very different than how you do combat in a single-player RPG. A single-player RPG, you know, unless you're explicitly making a turn-based game, right? So, you know, or like, you know, unless you're explicitly trying to like make a turn-based system like Divinity Original Sin or something like that, there's, you know, there's no reason to have combat that is heavily subject to cooldowns. It's fine for like special powers and stuff, but there's no reason to necessarily have them for like every single hit of the sword. And Shroud has partly gone away from this, but the combat still feels from a single player perspective, very laggy. It feels like MMO combat, right? Which is, you know, sort of more deliberately timed in most cases to allow, you know, basically to just, mitigate latency in connections, right? That's why those cooldowns exist is so that, you know, a player on a really ridiculously fast connection isn't going to be able to just spam powers on a player with a really, really slow connection. They're both going to have to cycle powers. And so that's kind of a leveling effect that kind of balances the playing field a little bit. Right. And in, in the single player game, you can have abilities that are just incredibly overpowered. You do not want that in PVP because then everybody goes for that ability. <laughs> You know, and then so that, you know, if you're not separating P- abilities, effects in PvP versus PvE, then you slow, you know, to slow down PvP to be reasonable and fair, you affect PvE. And so then it takes longer to kill, you know, 10 rats. 
yeah. which is to be tedious when you've got those type of quests or things like that. Or like, I've got to go, you know, go into the castle to get, you know, the Tome of Lost Knowledge. Well, you know, when you've got to kill 30 guards, that gets to be a slog if you're not, you know, super powerful. Because yes. a lot of times when you're single player games, you want that strong power creep so that you feel like the uber elite hero, you know, who can just wade through enemies yeah. like a hot knife through butter. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. Yeah. You know, it is, you know, I, it's, I mean, I hope, I hope all these succeed because I like to see that type of, uh, diversity in the game genres, but man, you know, sometimes, like you say, when you pick these engines, you're also picking their limitations and that can be painful to live with. Absolutely. Well, wow. We've been at this for 90 minutes. Cool. I know. I will talk forever if you give me a chance. (laughs) (laughs) No, this has been a really good discussion. I like this, but I think I am actually going to have to hang it up for now because like as not, I am going to try and catch the early-ish train from uh, Middleton to Cove. Cool. Um, because, you know, there's a really beautiful cathedral there, and there's the Titanic Museum, and I have an open Sunday. So... Uh, you know, when you travel, it's like, get out and see all this stuff. My son was talking, <laughs> had... Um, sending back pictures he and his wife they went because he teaches in shanghai as i was saying they went to inner mongolia and he was sending pictures back and i thought yeah this is so cool wow yeah they actually were stayed in a yurt so that was kind of funny (laughs) yeah Uh, now that is something i've not done but i I feel that i would be i feel that i should experience this at least once i've been a scout long enough that i should have slept in that kind of shelter um you know, but actually that's another thing too, that I'm really looking forward to is the fact that I've got like standing invites from the Beaver Scouts and the Cub Scouts of the, uh, the local Middleton Scout group. So cool. That's that's the other big part of my life. I play video games and I do scouting things. And so it's just, you know, it was cool to be able to actually, you know, it's like, Oh, I know I'm going to be in Ireland for a week and a half. I'm just going to reach out to any scout groups that happen to be in the area and see who, uh, see who's willing to have me on. So, and someone was, that's been really cool. But yeah, those, those types of connections are really neat to see. So Kenneth, uh, if you're on the way to Cove, does the train have a stop at the Shrine of Compassion? <laughs> well, uh, bringing us back to Ultima. Ah, nicely done. Nicely done. Well, you know what? Uh, no, but, uh, it should be noted that it's spelled C O B H. It's just that in the Irish tongue that comes out more as a, a V than a B. So, and oh my I gosh. Heard. My apologies. Oh my gosh. I, I have to talk about this just briefly because it's like my one good daddy moment. I feel like so horrible about the fact that I'm, yesterday was my anniversary, my 10th wedding anniversary. And where am I? I'm in Ireland. I initially tried to actually get my wife along for this trip, but we just couldn't make it work. Um, but unfortunately, you know, because when we initially thought, Hey, we might be able to actually be in Ireland for our anniversary because this opportunity came along at my work, I warned her. I'm like, okay, you know, if I put my name in the hat, it's going to be the name drawn out of the hat because my boss would much rather send a willing volunteer than someone he has to say, Hey, 
need you to go to Ireland. Um, and she's like, yep, I get that. That's totally fine. I'm like, okay, good. So I put my name in the hat. And of course my name got drawn out of the hat. And then ultimately we just couldn't make it work that she could come with me to Ireland. So I'm here and doing my thing. But yeah, yesterday was my wedding anniversary. And next week is my eldest daughter's ninth birthday. And two weeks after that is my second daughter's birthday. She's turning seven and she wants to have a, um, well, it, she's kind of backed off of the Willy Wonka theme a little bit, but she totally wanted to have like a chocolate factory themed birthday party or like a candy factory themed birthday party. So, you know, her friends are going to come over and they're going to like melt chocolate and make their own little candies. My wife's gotten all of these like trays with different shapes in them that they'll be able to. And so it's, it's going to be cool. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be Juliana's candy shop kind of thing. But I'm walking in, I'm, I'm just walking in out of the stores today, right? I'm just kind of killing time. My hotel is only a handful of blocks from the Jameson distillery. And my neighbor who may still listen to this podcast. Um, hello. If so, <laughs> shout out to John. Um, but he, uh, he is trying to get off the ground, a podcast, uh, podcast. <laughs> There's a Freudian slip for you. A pod appropriate about whiskey. Um, because he's, you know, he's, he's quite the whiskey enthusiast. Um, and so I'm, I'm mere blocks from the Jameson distillery, you know, which actually isn't just Jameson. Like basically when the distilling industry kind of collapsed post-World War II, um, the three surviving houses basically merged into Irish distilleries. And so they've kind of kept all these brand names, Jameson being one of them, but it's, it's one common distillery now. Okay. And then they just have, you know, all these different recipes that they, they follow. Anyways, not the point. The point is that distillery is, you know, mere blocks from my hotel. And so they do tours. So I signed up for a distillery tour. I had my phone along. I had the little road video mic me that I'm using right now to record this along. And for like two hours, I was just following the tour guide around recording everything he said. Um, so I'm going to take that back. And, you know, like hopefully, um, John and, you know, maybe I'll sit in on an episode or two, um, if you'll have me, but yeah, hopefully, you know, he's able to use that to kind of put together like, uh, I don't know, some kind of episode. I'm not even sure, you know, how it would be useful, but like, I'm not quite sure. Like I can think of two or three use cases myself, but obviously it's not my podcast, so I'm not sure how he'll wind up using it, but you know, um, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I'm killing time just kind of walking up and down the main street until it's time for this distillery tour to start. And I walk into this candy shop and they have actual, like, do you remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Like the one from the sixties? Yeah. Yeah. They have actual, like the Wonka bar, like oh. chocolate bar branded, wrapped. It looks exactly like something off the shelf from that movie. And it's the good chocolate too. It's it not American chocolate. <laughs> yes. So, um, I grabbed a picture of that and I texted my wife and I'm just like, so whenever you wake up, because you know, seven hour time difference, um, I found this 
And a couple hours later, when she wakes up, she just starts lighting up my phone. She's just like, you get that. I don't care how you do it. Just get that. Get 12, at least 12, more if you can. So now I have a big bag of them right here. I'll take ah, a photo and post cool. it in Discord chat. But uh, No, those are the fun things about being a parent when you can find something like that yep. and give it to your kids. Yeah, it's just like, oh my gosh. I, this is like, this makes the entire trip right here. And then at the same time, it's Jamboree on the internet this weekend. So my scout group is, uh, currently at a camp at Jamboree on the internet. It's cool. Cause it's basically like a weekend long, um, IRC. And you mentioned TeamSpeak earlier, and that's also the tech that they use because of course you can host your own TeamSpeak server. Um, so it's like a big online meeting of scouts from around the world using IRC and TeamSpeak. Cool. Yeah. So that's going on right now too. So I'm probably going to hop off of this briefly pop onto there and see if my scout group's on and then, uh, yeah, go from there. Okay. Discord. I'm going to try and log in. Please don't disconnect my ass. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you Fortran, especially for an engaging discussion. That was awesome. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I've been wanting to catch a show. It just, you know, either I'm recording or you're, um, cause I get up at four 30 in the morning. Some of your recording sessions are just too late for me to stay up. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, I'm obliged to ask where can people find you online? You can find me. Um, and then going back to MMOs when at the time when I, uh, was splitting all my identities and the various things. You can most easily find me um, at Wow Piper on Twitter, W O W P I P E R. And then you can find me, um, let me get the actual URL here. You can find me at starwarsbeyond.com. That's the uh, link for the main podcast. It is behind the times. Uh, we've recorded episodes, I just haven't released them, but hopefully in the near term we'll get newer episodes out but you can do that um or you can email me at wowpiper at gmail.com that's my other email address twitter's probably the best place to get a hold of me or if you want to follow me because you'll see me tweeting about games and some other things awesome cool well thank you And uh, thank you, everyone out there for listening. And until next time, be virtuous. Virtuous.